Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about the ongoing occupation of Palestine with my friend Vienno. Okay, that's a, this is actually a decent topic. <laughs> well, you know where they're going to take it, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm just being real at the top of the show, you know? Of course. How are you, Vienna? I'm sweaty. It's so warm. Other than that, though, like, the sun is shining. Like, things are all right. Uh, ceasefire just got announced in Gaza. Like, things, things are looking all right. Not good, but, you know, all right. Shades of better. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I'm, you know... I would enjoy the heat, but for some reason, I don't know if it's the flowers blooming or something, my sinuses have just flared right up. And you can even, like, my van outside seemed clean yesterday, and you can almost run a finger over top of it today of just the loads of pollen that has rained down upon it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, in that sense, I'm not having a good time. But otherwise, the, the weather is quite lovely. Time to get some nose plugs. Yeah, it is weird thinking about how much uh, trees having sex really fucks up the uh, nasal passageway. <laughs> I mean, I think any amount of reproductive anything's going up your nose is probably going to not be great for your sinuses. <laughs> it's not just trees, you know? Ah, <laughs> uh, Good... <laughs> Great start. We got a PSA right at the beginning. Uh, don't put sex stuff up your nose. And, uh, you know, with that, I guess we'll get right into the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from May 10th to May 14th. David Menzies interviews climate denialist Mark Morano. Mark claims disruptions occur for all energy sources. If you're near any kind of production of energy, typically there's some kind of disruption to your world, whether you're near windmills listening to the sound or chopping up birds, whether you're near solar panels where they spread them out all over the place and they you know, harm endangered desert tortoises or other things of the land, or whether you're near, living near a coal mine or whether you're living uh, near, you know, I guess nuclear, there's no issue except the fear factor for some people. Other wild claims mentioned by Mark in this episode include... Methane is not a real greenhouse gas. Methane is called the irrelevant greenhouse gas. Fake meat is a plot to drive up the price of real meat. But the sinister part of this fake meat thing is what they're going to do is drive up the cost of meat. And the government is going to ban eating meat while shoving bugs down our throats. I have no problem with people want to eat insects. What makes me nervous is when they want to ban meat and start mandating insect eating and shoving it down your throat the way they shoved lockdowns at us. Mark Morano makes a bunch of claims that all seem to contradict each other. How surprising. He claims that the left doesn't criticize corporations anymore because the corporations are all woke. They used to have the progressive left rail on big corporations, breaking them up, stopping this, we need... And now they're silent. You know why? Because they've taken over yes. corporate America. Corporate America serves at the, at the behest of woke activists, anything they want. So therefore, they're no longer critical because they're in charge of it. He then claims that people are refusing to work because they make more money off the government. You know, we're already having a problem here in the United States where they can't find employers, can't find enough people because the COVID benefits of unemployment are so great that they take a pay cut to get an actual job. Lastly, Moreno claims that the reason the government is now your paycheck is that it is part of the great reset for you to own nothing and be happy. But this is all great because in the vision of the great reset, where you collectivize everything and you nationalize everything, the government is going to be your source of income anyway. Remember, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. That's the motto of the great reset. And COVID lockdowns have accelerated that. What is not clear is why corporations would go along with this. Considering they won't be able to make things if they have no workers, and it won't be able to sell anything if the goal is for people to own nothing. Also, if the government is going to give you a paycheck, what is the point if they also want you to own nothing? David Menzies ends the segment with the kind of sharp insight we expect from Rebel News. And we've discussed this before. Really, Mark, the green movement is really the red movement with a different color, isn't it? 
Got him. Ezra is mad that YouTube is cracking down on COVID-19 misinformation. Ezra decides to talk about hydroxychloroquine again, because it is listed as one of the things you can't promote on YouTube. He claims that real doctors think that it works. You know, a lot of doctors recommend hydroxychloroquine. It's a drug that's been around for decades. It's well known. Doctors know, well, it's not an experimental drug at all. Now, I don't know if they're right. It might be experimental to apply to COVID-19, but there are real doctors with real patients who say it really works. This is based on almost a year-old survey that we have already covered on the show months ago. At that time, doctors were desperate for some kind of treatment, but we now know that it isn't effective. That being said, doctor anecdotes are not how we determine the effectiveness of a drug. Since an individual doctor prescribing a treatment is susceptible to all kinds of biases that randomized control trials attempt to mitigate. This is precisely why YouTube would be against someone like Ezra chatting about this on their platform. Ezra then complains that YouTube allows other non-scientific beliefs to be discussed on their platform and lists these non-scientific beliefs as Here's a few more things that you just aren't allowed to say. You can't say the earth is flat, so you can say, pardon me, you can say the earth is flat. <laughs> That's not bad on YouTube. You can say, I don't know, that there are aliens, there are UFOs, Elvis is still alive. You can believe in the theory of man-made global warming. You can claim that we only have 10 years left to live because we're all going to burn up. Ezra is mad that the mayor of Calgary and Jagmeet Singh have called the anti-lockdown protests white supremacist and far-right. Considering that these protests have been supported by Rebel News, we would have to agree. However, Ezra responds to Jagmeet by saying, Now, if I were Jagmeet Singh, who is so closely associated with extremist terrorists that he is literally banned from traveling to India, I don't think I'd be accusing my fellow Canadians of being extremists just because they don't like lockdown. What Ezra is likely referring to is Jagmeet's support for Sikh independence and his attendance at an event that was also attended by Khalistanis, who are the more militant wing of the Sikh independence movement. It is worth noting that Jagmeet was banned from traveling to India years before this event for his campaign to call the 1984 Sikh massacre in India a genocide. Whether you support Sikh independence or not, Ezra is wrong in what he is insinuating about Jagmeet Singh here. Ezra introduces the latest additions to his Rebel News team. The only individual that stands out is Matt Brevner. Matt is a hip-hop artist and producer who was nominated for a Juno Award, which is basically the Canadian Grammy. Matt claims he was cancelled because he went to go see a street preacher. Uh, last year, uh, I, I attended, uh, I went to go watch a street preacher, and the story was taken out of context and covered by CTV as, as a homophobic uh, protest, and unfortunately, uh, my social media reach as, you know, on, was on par with CTV Vancouver, so you can't have, as you know, you can't have any sort of success without some haters. So people who have been, you know, quietly hating me over the years took this as the opportunity to take pot shots at me and, and labeled it as some sort of homophobic protest, which it was not in, in any way, shape or form. And I was subsequently canceled for that. I was dropped from my record label without even them reaching out to me. Video of the event, the street preacher event, shows that not only did Matt go to see the street preacher, but he was an active participant and supporter. He stood next to the preacher with a biblical verse sign with only a few people in attendance. As to whether the event was homophobic, the preacher chose the heart of Vancouver's gay village and was preaching about gay conversion and how gay people will not be allowed into heaven. The preacher, named Dore Love, has a history of antagonizing the LGBTQ community where he was once charged for disrupting a drag queen storytime event in Ottawa. Matt has also produced videos for Dore Love, one of which contains the video footage of Dore harassing drag queens in Ottawa. But we are being told he was cancelled merely because he went to go see a street preacher. Ezra ends his conversation with Matt by saying that he will defend himself at the pearly gates for all the good he has done in the Fight the Fines initiative. I feel like if, if I go to the pearly gates and St. Peter says, you're not getting in, I'm going to say, whoa, before you <laughs> kick me out, I want to make it, I want to advocate for myself. I'm going to point to the Fight the Fines. Knowing you, you might sue. <laughs> yeah, I might sue him. I might sue him to let me in. That's a great joke. One of the less exciting new additions to the Rebel team is someone 
Ezra refers to as K2. This is because their name is Kian. Considering that the other Kian quit just recently, the new Kian is being called K2. Sadly, however, he takes it as a point of pride, since he looks up to and wanted to work for Rebel because of the old Kian. We at Imperial News look forward to a time when the two Ks will form rival competing puzzle companies, and we never have to hear about either of them ever again. And that is the week! As everyone already uh, knows, there is ongoing escalations uh, occurring between the uh, Palestinians and the Israelis over the occupation of Palestine. Of course, this is something that Ezra wants to talk about, and I would say, of course, for long-time listeners, that he's going to have this discussion with Joel Pollack. The reason why I say, of course, is because since we started the podcast, actually, Ezra hasn't really uh, done much in terms of his anti-Islam material, in part because uh, I think most of what we've covered since I started doing the podcast was the 2019 election and then this COVID incident. And most of that did not surround uh, Islam as a a topic of interest at that time. Although for those who know, I mean, Ezra has a long history of being antagonistic to uh, the Muslim community. He, he, He rose to fame, I guess you would call it, in Canada because he tried to... Well, he didn't try. He actually did print the drawings of the Prophet Muhammad and was basically taken to the Human Rights Tribunal for drawing them, or for releasing the drawings uh, on his uh, weekly uh, Western Standard? Western Standard magazine. So he has a history of antagonizing Muslims. Almost like the only time we ever talked about his Islamophobia on the show, or at least uh, what's going on right now in Palestine, revolved around Joel being a guest on the show and Ezra and him sort of talking about what it means to support Israel. And at that time, and this was before the pandemic, Ezra and Joel Pollack said, basically admitted that you can't be a Jew, according to them. Joel and Ezra both happen to be Jewish. You can't be a Jew unless you support the country of Israel. Now, this, of course, is in its own way kind of anti-Semitic. Because here is Ezra and Joel getting to dictate who is or isn't Jewish and basing it solely on the sort of like reverence to a country, which seems a little bit uh, wrong, considering that I in my life, I know a a ton of people uh, specifically involved in the independence, uh, uh, independent voices, Jewish voices who combat the, the occupation of Palestine. So I think I'm not going to be the one, obviously, to adjudicate that, but I'm willing to concede that these people really are Jewish and happen to disagree with Ezra and Joel Pollock. Yep, they're being Zionists, like that's the function of that ideology. I wanted to frame that because that doesn't really come up in this talk, but I think it's important to highlight the history of these two figures going into them talking about the ongoing escalation, right? Because they kind of just jump right into it and make a bunch of claims. And we'll adjudicate some of those claims. But some of it is like just a flag at the forefront that of course they're going to take the stand that they're taking because they've, they've hedged their own Jewishness on the superiority of Israel as a country. But before... We jump right into the specifics of the ongoing escalation. Ezra starts off the show with his own monologue, trying to pin all the world's problems on Joe Biden. And I, I want, I'll go through the list and we could just like, there, there's very little to say here because most of it just is incorrect. But it's like amazing how... Some of these things you could attribute to, uh, or or you could also say that Donald Trump did similar things. So it's like weird that like for them, they need to push this idea that the world was perfect with Donald Trump. All of a sudden, Joe Biden got elected. And within 100 days, Joe Biden has completely destroyed the universe. 
And I'm not a huge fan of Joe Biden, obviously, but this narrative is just a tad bit silly. Just the notion of any rupture between Donald Trump and the, like, continuous existence of the United States is, like, it's just bad, yeah. <laughs> bad thinking. Like, it's just wrong. Didn't you know that things are currently falling apart in the Middle East because of Joe Biden? Okay, but, like, <laughs> he has been in office since, like, the 70s. So on a grand scale, he hasn't yes. <laughs> helped. <laughs> True, but that's not what Ezra's saying, right? Ezra is yeah, saying that it's like, he got elected <laughs> 100 days ago, was sworn into office, and that's when things started falling apart. Because according to Ezra, like before then, Trump was signing all these peace agreements and was this like wonderkin to uh, the Middle East. Even though, as we've said on previous episodes, whenever Ezra has brought that up, a lot of these agreements were uh, a long time in the works. So for example, with the United Arab Emirates, that stuff was predating Trump for a while now as uh, Israel and them were working out trade agreements under Barack Obama, for example. Something, something bipartisan consensus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, part of it too is like, yes, there. I think there is a, a foreign policy bipartisan consensus somewhat, but it's it's also funny just because a lot of these things Trump inherited and just did, but like, of course, his manner is to like overly boast about it. So of course, like Trump would parade around like, look, I solved the Middle East because I got a peace agreement that's been in the works long before he showed up as the symbolic figurehead of the Republican Party, right? But of course, the way a lot of conservatives think is they look up to their daddy figure <laughs> in reverence, right? So like, while we could agree that a lot of these things are just the uh, foreign policy establishment within the American government, they like to think that somehow it would have been a lot different if not for the fact that their daddy was elected. Trump just really wanted that Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> just because Obama got one. And like, what the fuck did Obama get a Nobel Peace Prize for? Was that Iraq? No, it literally, he got it just for being elected, I think. It was like almost immediately when he became president, he got it. <sighs> and even he was shocked that he got it. Like, it, it was pretty uh, ridiculous handing out of that reward. So then, uh, more things that are Biden's fault. Apparently, there was this recent pipeline hack, and Ezra thinks that it's China's fault. Do, do you really think it was a cyber criminal who wanted a ransom? That's what we're told. It could be. Or do you think that maybe, I don't know, just guessing here, just a foreign power, maybe, I don't know, maybe China? Huh. I mean, if China were to do it, they would probably say it was some for-profit ransom criminal. Even though I've never heard that anywhere, and I think all the evidence so far links back to a, a group of hackers within Russia Although uh, even the Biden administration came out saying they're not connected to the Russian government in any capacity. But Ezra thinks it's China's fault. And that's because Biden is soft on China? <laughs> sure. All right. He then says the failing economy is Biden's fault. There's the news that the massive jobs rebound that was happening under Trump. It's been slow to a crawl. You know, long term, as you said before, you know, what it, he's the... Uh, the senator for uh, the credit card companies, he was sort of like known that colloquially for a long time. So he probably has a large part in uh, the sort of, at least in ways that we would conceive hurting the economy. But I guess like if I were to actually get into the mind of Ezra, if anything, Biden has helped Ezra's worldview in terms of uh, funneling a bunch of capital, uh, capital into the a few people. Uh, Biden really helped with that. Very very big, like, Obama caused the 2008 crash vibes. I do. And here's the thing. This isn't to excuse uh, Biden and all the problems that he's going to cause and all that fun stuff. But he literally was elected president after a global pandemic in which the last president really did fuck a lot of shit up. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. There's also apparently more immigration due to Biden. More people are sneaking across the border from Mexico than ever. 180,000 at last count. Because they know Biden won't be strong. He, Biden loves 
illegal migrants. He knows they're future Democrat voters. He, he wants them to come. Even though not a lot of the evidence indicates that that's necessarily the case, or at least well, I'm talking about immigrants here because the legal-illegal distinction is a bit uh, not good in the first place, but also in terms of actually legally being allowed to vote, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, it would be nice if Biden just uh, gave amnesty to all the people who came in through channels other than directly through the border, but I don't think that's going to happen. Which, again, cuts against the whole notion that somehow Biden is really loves that this is happening and wants it to happen more. I do think that there has been an increase of immigration and probably because there is a difference between Biden and Trump because Trump was purposefully separating parents from their children, which is terrifying and was uh, possibly a... Uh, it's not a war crime. What's a crime against humanity? It was a crime against humanity, what Trump was doing. Also, apparently... <laughs> This one was my favorite because Ezra says that war in the Middle East never happened under Trump. Now war is breaking out in the Middle East. When was the last time that happened? Did it happen a lot under Donald Trump? No, it did not. Foreign actors, countries, terrorist groups, whatever, they either feared Trump or respected Trump or both. Now they laugh at Biden. I mean, for one, he inherited two wars. So you have Iraq and Afghanistan. And I remember when he was first elected, he was really proud of the fact that he dropped the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So he was he was very antagonistic to a lot of those countries. But then there was also the bombing campaigns in Syria. That and uh, we almost went to... <laughs> the whole world almost went to war with Iran over the, the assassination of Soleimani at the beginning of 2020. Does like Ezra not remember any of this? I mean, and the war in Yemen... The Turkish invasion of northern Syria as a response to, like, the the Kurdish Democratic forces there. Like, there's been a lot of ongoing war. Yes, even if you want to stipulate involvement. I mean, the Americans are clearly have been involved in all these things. But, like, maybe not as direct or more, more or less direct in each case, right? Mm -hmm. The examples I picked out is because, like, the, like... Literally, the Americans are running the bombing campaigns and the ones that I highlighted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the other ones that you brought up, like, yes, America's involved because they're selling weapons just like we are, right? The American involvement there is a lot more direct than, like, they let on. Because the main reason that Turkey hadn't invaded sooner was that there were U.S. troops there. And that was part of, like, Trump's whole disengagement from Syria was basically just pulling back to the oil fields in northeast Syria and leaving everything else for the Turks to come and, you know, ethnically cleanse again. And same with, like, the involvement in Yemen. That's, like, they're the ones both supplying the bombs, but also refueling the jets and, like, making sure that that is still ongoing because that's seen as a proxy war against Iran. It might not be literal bombs, but it is still, like, direct involvement and in ensuring that it's ongoing. Which is the thing. is like, if if Trump was so much more peaceful, he, he could have, I mean, he could have played a role in trying to end a lot of these conflicts and just didn't. Yeah. Didn't at all. Continued them. Then we get the claim that Trump pacified North Korea. Trump wasn't supernatural, but he did pacify North Korea. So, yeah, he met with Kim Jong-un. And, uh, yep. <laughs> I, I guess that's pacifying North Korea. Yeah, and, like, didn't, <laughs> no peace agreement, no, like, nothing concrete, but wow, he shook hands with the yeah. guy and did a photo op. We also get that there was no a war in Israel under Trump. Which brings us to the war in Israel. There wasn't one under Trump. I don't know, this is complicated, because, like, I don't, th from my memory... I don't think that escalations raised as high as they are currently during his administration, but a lot of what he did had rippling effects, like the naming of or moving of the embassy to Jerusalem, which there was reactions to that even when it happened. Like, it didn't escalate to what we're seeing right now, but that didn't help things. I mean, the Great March of Return in Gaza happened under Trump, or, you know, while well, Trump was president of the United States, and that saw 
hundreds of casualties at least. Um, it was just over a longer period than than like the current situation, but it's still been like there was still a huge amount of violence. Yeah, I I almost forgot about that. Like I it's in my head. It's just like you know, four years is a long period of time, which I think is partly what uh, Ezra can do here, which is like. He could just sort of, like, say this and just expect his audience to not remember key things that happened along the way, right? There's a sense in which this doesn't directly have anything to do with the American presidency, other than the fact that the American government clearly participates uh, and gives a lot of military and financial support to Israel. That clearly matters in all of this. I'm just saying that it like it didn't really matter who the figurehead was in order for this recent escalation to to be or or like the recent escalation isn't directly tied to who was or was not the the president of America, right? At least I don't get that sense. We now move into the escalation in Palestine. And Joel Pollock immediately wants to blame Iran for some reason. Well, let's just be clear about where the responsibility ultimately lies. It lies with the Palestinian leadership and with Iran, which funds and arms Palestinian terrorists, terrorists in Lebanon, terrorists in other parts of the Middle East and around the world. And they have played the fundamental role in fomenting this conflict. They are also attempting to pressure the United States, which is looking for some way to capitulate and accept very weak terms in some kind of return to the old nuclear deal. Which again, it's like Iran is involved, like a lot of countries are involved. But just like the United States president, I like <laughs> just like I don't I don't understand partly like why why the thing happened now having to do with Iran at all. And part of what Pollock is saying is somehow the Iranians are using this uh, to establish an agreement with the United States. But since the United States mostly allies with Israel, it isn't clear to me how Iran siding with the Palestinians and arming them, which is what Pollock is claiming, whether or not that is going to help them with uh, getting the, the nuclear agreement that they had before with America. I'm not sure. It's kind of incoherent, but this is the argument that Pollock is making. Like, Iran does fund and supply arms to Hamas like they have good relations with one another um you know they was stretched a little bit early on in the um Syrian civil war but has since been like more reestablished and I mean it's it's the same thing that they say about about Yemen regarding the Houthis where it's like oh because they have relations with Iran they you know this must be Iran's fault somehow and they're the ones continuing the conflict and not, you know, the regular people on the ground fighting for liberation from their, like, oppressors. That could never possibly be the case in their mind because they don't give a shit about that sort of thing. I, th- I think the part that just stuck out to me was, I, at least this time around, I haven't heard a single thing about Iran until they Joel Pollock brought it up in this discussion i've seen like similar lines of thought um on like zionist people's twitter pages and stuff like that like it's it's not an uncommon sort of like angle to push because in their minds like oh iran is always enemy and therefore if we blame iran that means that israel good yeah (laughs) and and that is a common theme on uh on uh, Ezra's show. So I, it's not too surprising that they would bring it up. It's just, to me, to me, it's more surprising in that, I guess, mainstream coverage, generally from what I've seen, has not brought up Iran. So that's why it just seems kind of like out of left field. But You could even look at it as like how much Zionists have sort of lost the narrative in like mainstream media at this point even, in that like this is something that you haven't noticed before. Whereas, like, if this were the 2014 war and the situations were, like, or if this was, like, the media coverage style of the 2014 assault on Gaza, then, like, we would be seeing that sort of rhetoric just nakedly and blatantly on 
you know, every major TV channel. But things are different this time. Things are different. The next step is apparently, and this is true actually, but Biden is giving aid to the Palestinians. A month ago, the Biden administration announced hundreds of millions of dollars in US, US taxpayer funds for the Palestinians in apparent violation of the Taylor Force Act, which prevents Americans' funds from being spent on the Palestinian Authority while it still subsidizes terrorism. The Biden administration wanted to reach out to the Palestinians. They want to entice them back to the negotiating table. So they offered them this money with no strings attached, no requirement to end supporting terror, to end incitement, to negotiate with Israel, nothing. And that signaled to the Palestinians that they have the green light to be more aggressive with Israel. And it also signaled that the Biden administration was not going to stand with Israel in a moment of need. And we now see that happening. And Pollock claims that this violates laws from donating taxpayer money to terrorists. And he makes this claim because since Hamas is the government in Gaza, that somehow they are the recipient of this money, but that isn't necessarily the case. And it's also not a ton of money, relatively speaking. It's $10 million, and it's money that is given to basically uh, help in terms of like water and uh, relief to, to children. The thing is, this is money that used to be given to Palestine that was taken away under Trump. So it's not like Biden is reinstating something that was taken away. And even then, it's $10 million in the grand scheme of things is not a lot when you compare that to what America gives to Israel, for example. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it's not like it's they're, you know, signing a check being like, here, Palestine, have this. <laughs> it goes through UNRWA, which is like the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees. I had to look up what the acronym stood for. Yeah. I just know it is UNRWA. But like, like as a UN agency, it's not like it's going like to the governments of like the Palestinian Authority or Hamas. It's going to a UN aid agency. I mean, Pollock complains that there's no stipulation on where exactly this money is spent specifically. But like, as you said, it's like it's going through the UN. So it's not like just going to like... I don't know, go to the Hamas slush funds for rockets or whatever Pollock thinks is occurring here. Yeah. But Pollock sees this as kind of nefarious because he says the giving of the money to Palestine is apparently showing, or Biden telling Israel that he's not going to stand with them. And apparently it also sent a signal to Palestine to be more aggressive. Yet I'm not sure how returning to money they used to give to Palestine anyways is like a signal to them to like, hey, it's time to be more aggressive. Especially considering like, you would think if that was the thing, you would wait till the money was spent in a way to like build up things rather than start the aggression now when I don't even think they've received the money yet. Like I don't, <laughs> I'm trying even to like see it in their mind, like how this would work and it doesn't even make sense on their terms. $10 million to UN agency that feeds refugees that have been displaced for 75 years. Somehow, like, you know, just enough to keep them on a subsistence diet and, like, not starve to death and maybe have, like, you know, a tent over the holes in their what were supposed to be, like, temporary shelters. Oh, no. That is a sign to begin a bombing campaign with our unguided missiles that we hope hit something because we're doing it with like math since again they're unguided you shoot them and they just go in a line this leads to so now we're getting with Pal we're getting into palestinian aggression and i'm going to jump through the next few points here to just like look at how pollock is framing what occurred the palestinians fomented riots last friday using the Al-Aqsa Mosque, one of the holiest sites in Islam, to store weapons, including stones, Molotov cocktails, fireworks. They used those weapons to attack innocent Jewish worshipers at the Western Wall, to attack Israeli police, to do other kinds of attacks, uh, including a, an attempted lynching outside the walls of the old city. I'm not sure if those stones that were thrown at the Israeli driver who was almost lynched came from inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque, but it was part of that general riot. When Israeli police moved in to try to clear out the rioters, the Palestinians claim that there was an attack on the mosque by the Israeli 
authorities, which wasn't the case, of course. Israel has had sovereignty over the Temple Mount for almost 65 years now, uh, and excuse me, 55 years, and uh, nothing like that is, has, has happened. Israel has never attacked the mosques. Israel has protected the mosques. But it's the Palestinians who have used them as cover for these occasional attacks on innocent civilians and on police officers. Now you have Hamas exploiting the situation to fire rockets at Jerusalem and at Israel, and Israel has been required to defend itself, taking out the rocket launchers, taking out the Hamas terrorists in charge of all this. And there's several steps in this that are just like clearly like misstating what occurred mm-hmm. and also shows the like disparity here, which is like th- the fact that you would say they're storing rocks at the mosque as like a means to like we need to disrupt them. We need to violently come in with our military police force. To stop these people from stalking rocks. Yeah. It also, you know, there was the religious aspect of it. Not only was it a mosque, but it was during... The first, like, assault, I'm pretty sure, was on Leilat al-Qadr, which is the holiest month, holiest night of the month of Ramadan, because it's supposed to be the first night that um, the, like, first verse of the Quran was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad. Like, it's... It's supposed to be a time of, like, very explicit peace. And the innocent Jewish worshippers were also involved in their own sort of movement, which was called Judgment Day. And they were far-right ultra-nationalists who were then cheering when the police force were were setting parts of the mosque's uh, uh, grounds on fire. So they, they weren't just innocent. These are the types of people that want to see Palestinians removed from Israel. Yeah, and the thing is, like, Al-Aqsa Mosque is a Muslim holy site. Like, it's the purpose of Israeli settlers being there is to antagonize Palestinians. There isn't really... Like, the Wailing Wall is next to the compound type of thing, but they have a whole, like stairway built up from next to the Wailing Wall up to the mosque compound so that they can go and intimidate Palestinians. Like, these, this sort of riot where, like, Israeli settlers come and they antagonize people to the point of, like, rage because that's what they do and, you know, are trying to provoke a reaction so that the military and the police will then come and impose harsher restrictions on Palestinians is something that happens, like every year or two at least like it's a very common occurrence it's just that you know coupled with everything else that was going on it has led to even more resistance from the palestinians which is a good thing maybe our listeners might have missed the very subtle islamophobia that exists there too which is that pollock claims that the israeli police force that was harassing these worshippers were the ones protecting the mosque, as if the mosques themselves can't be maintained by the Muslims that worship there, that they somehow need these Jewish police force to come in and protect the mosque from them, from hoarding the rocks there. Yeah, it's just, it's such a fucking, like, disingenuous and, like, stupid line of argument that like it takes so little to see through and yet somehow like has worked for so long i mean even in the discussion of how the things then unfolded because it's hamas that fired rockets and israel had to retaliate you know it's not like israel had a choice Hamas had the choice. They could have just chosen not to fire the rockets. But as soon as those rockets were fired, Israel had to retaliate. Which is to take any onus of responsibility or action away from Israel and place it all on Hamas. Yeah. Pollock then wants to, now spins it back to Biden and claims that Biden wants to play both the both sides game. And Biden has equivocated. He's basically said, well, we condemn the rocket fire, but we also condemn... Israel's policies on this and that. And when I heard this, I was like, I don't think I've heard a single thing from Biden in support of the Palestinians. Yeah. I think the closest came after this episode aired, which was Biden talked about Rashida Tlaib. 
Rashida Tlaib? I mean, here's the thing is I mispronounced her last name. I think Biden called her Rashid. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shit sucks. I'm Rashid. Tlaib, where's Rashid? I tell you what, Rashid, I want to say to you that uh, I admire your intellect, I admire your passion, and I admire your concern for so many other people. And it's my, from my heart, I pray that your grandma and family are well. I promise you I'm going to do everything to see that they are on the West Bank. You're a fighter, and God, thank you for being a fighter. That being said, that was like the only moment where he might have uttered a single word about what is happening to the Palestinians and had some sympathy for what they're going through. But beyond that, he's been full-throated in support of Israel. And so it's like weird to me that Pollock just comes guns blazing. Like Biden is like a super pro-Palestinian. When there's like video footage of like Biden over the, over the years saying that he self-identifies as a Zionist. Were I a Jew, I would be a Zionist. And my father pointed out to me, I did not need to be a Jew to be a Zionist. For I am. Israel is essential to the security of Jews worldwide. There's that one clip of Biden saying like, even if Israel didn't exist, we would make an Israel. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. It's not surprising that he holds these views, is what I'm saying. It's more just surprising to me that Pollock thinks that he could just say this and get away with it. Which I'm, I'm sure with his right-wing audience, he can say it and get away with it. I'm just like, anyone else living in the real world will go, when has Biden ever behaved like that? He's clearly been on the side of Israel this whole time. And they got a ceasefire, and he called for a ceasefire at the very last minute. But when this uh, current escalation started, Biden basically gave the green light to Israel to continue the, with their military campaign. But, you know, in good... Uh, <laughs> maintaining his uh, way about this whole thing, uh, Joe Pollock then says Hamas is targeting civilians. This was completely unprovoked. Israel did nothing to provoke this whatsoever. The supposed causes, like a court case in the Israeli Supreme Court, and the riots on the last Friday in Ramadan, which were pre-planned, have nothing to do with Israel or anything Israel did to Palestinians at all. And this is just pure uh, incitement and provocation by the Palestinians. Now they're in the middle of a war and uh, Biden, instead of siding with Israel, is siding with the terrorists. I mean, I mean, I mean, Biden is siding yeah. with the IDF, so. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it would be correct if if Pollock was pointing at the right people here. <laughs> Yeah. Right? It's one of those, like, accidentally correct. Pollock then brings up Sheikh Jarrah. And I almost was surprised that he did because I was thinking he was just going to avoid this aspect of it. But he kind of says absolutely nothing. There, there's a property dispute in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah over some homes that used to be owned by Jews before 1948 were seized by Jordan when they took the region over in 1948 and then were given to Arab residents. Now the Jews want their property back and there's been a court fight over it for decades. It's a complicated legal issue, but it's certainly not anything that ought to trigger over a thousand rockets, 1200 rockets, in fact, fired by Palestinians at Israel. And there's a double layer to this. One, one thing this should just obviously pop right out to you and like we'll go over the history in a second, but it's like, it's amazing that he obviously sees some sort of sense of a right of return. Yeah. Like, if Jews lived in a home in 1948, even though a lot of history happened between now and then, Joel Pollock believes that the Jews should have a right of return to those homes that they lost back then, and yet does not feel the same way about Palestinians when it comes to, for example, the Nakba, which happened in 1948. Al-Nakba was the, um, or is... Arabic for the catastrophe, um, and it generally refers to the um, mass expulsions that took place in the establishment of the current state of Israel in 1948 that left around like 750,000 uh, Palestinians as refugees. And like there is ongoing expulsions of Palestinians. So it's often said that like the Nakba never ended. Um, but generally, when people like say, refer to it, it's the 1948 mass expulsions because 
everything else has been a continuation of that original mass expulsion, ethnic cleansing, whichever terminology you would prefer. And ethnic cleansing fits here, which which we can explain with part of the history here, which is that while so the Nakba is occurring and Palestinians are fleeing to Jordan, not all, but like a, a large portion are fleeing to Jordan. Back then, when that happened in 1948, Jerusalem was not entirely under Israeli control. Jordan controlled uh, East Jerusalem. And after the conflict, that, or well, after the, the catastrophe, as de- described there, happened, Jordan played, or I guess allowed some of the refugees that fled into their territory allowed them to uh, reside in these neighborhoods uh, of, for example, the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem. Jump ahead a bunch of years, and you have the Six Days War, which basically involved Israel uh, getting mad at Egypt over Egypt's decision to not let them use uh, shipping lanes, which then resulted in Israel preemptively striking Egypt destroying their air force and taking over the Sinai Peninsula, which then caused Jordan and Syria to get involved in Egypt's defense. And that's when Israel expanded into the West Bank and also the Golan Heights, which it still occupies to this day. And Gaza. And Gaza. I mean, that was complicated because they they did take over like the whole Sinai Peninsula and it was like this whole thing. But then it was like they gave back Sinai, but still remained... uh, are still remained occupying Gaza. Anyways, long, complicated history, completely bastardizing it. But (laughs) for point of this conversation, Israel now controlled after uh, 1967 or 8, Israel then had control over East Jerusalem again. Or not again for the first time or whatever. (laughs) But now you had had, uh, these Palestinians living in homes in this area. Uh, For example, Sheikh Jarrah. And what has happened since then is you've had Israel claim that these homes belong to Jews, even though the original owners of uh, these homes are not around to claim ownership of these of this land. Uh, and yet the Israel government claims that since it was owned by Jews, it belongs to Jews and has there been therefore been fighting legally for years to basically remove these Palestinians from this neighborhood. And not only that, I mean, they've taken like extrajudicial means in that you had uh, Israelis who come from, uh, well, Jews who came from other countries to who have the right of return to come to Israel, who then were just squatting in people's homes. Uh, There was a huge legal case in 2001 when basically somebody just locked themselves in a Palestinian's home. And this has been ongoing. And so... The recent struggles is that like this, this has continued to the point, but now we have cell phone coverage. You have people sort of like highlighting what's going on there. And before this recent escalation occurred and before uh, what happened at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you had videos coming out of, for example, there was this one uh, video where this person just basically admitted that he was stealing their house. Jacob, you know this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the problem? Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But you—it's easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. Yeah, you are helping. stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is gonna steal it. No, no one, no one uh, is allowed to steal it, Yami. This isn't happening to other Jews who moved into the neighborhood after 1948. This is only happening to Palestinian Arabs in that community. And it's very obviously ethnic cleansing. Like there's no other way to describe what's happening there other than. The Israeli government wants to remove Palestinian Arabs from Jerusalem in order to make it a Jewish city. Yep. And I, <laughs> like, like it's, it's almost like the thing that like strikes me about it is it's such a clear cut case, even if uh, sock personalities on Twitter don't want to uh, admit it. I had a fight with Ed the Sock. You can go watch our Twitch streams in case <laughs> you want to be filled in on that nonsense. But th- this is what's happening there. And for... Joel, just to sort of like brush it aside as being a complicated legal issue, is a bit uh, weird here. 
I mean, he also says that uh, activists are making what he calls an immoral equivalence. And the Biden administration is, again, playing this ridiculous game of moral equivalence or rather immoral equivalence because they're trying to equate something immoral like firing rockets at civilians with something moral like a court case that could favor one side or the other. But we all know all, the rulings have never sided with the Palestinian Arabs in this community. So it's like it's clear that he's trying to like oh, it's just a legal thing. It'll get worked out. This is an ethnic cleansing. Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. This is another time, I think, where, like, he, from a, you know, liberal democratic sort of, like, you know, like, bourgeois system analysis, he is kind of, like, telling on himself where it's, like, he is, like, this is the purpose of legal systems. It is to protect those people in power to protect the interests of the state and capitalism and like it's very you know the like oh it's a legal dispute that could go one way or the other it's like no it will it will only ever go one way because that's the purpose of legal systems well if, if you don't see the parallels between what's happening here and what uh the Canadian government does to indigenous populations here, you're willfully blind at this point. Like, it's it's the same thing. It's using the legal apparatus to remove people from their land. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, the parallels between this and 1492 Landback Lane and the Wet'suwet'en invasion, like, the invasion of Wet'suwet'en land is, like, it's so blatant and in your face. And it's, like, how how you can see what is going on in Palestine and not make the direct comparison to what is happening here is, I don't know, like, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. There is an excellent article from Briar Patch in Briar Patch magazine out of, I think, like, Saskatchewan uh, that was published in, like, 2012 that talks about the influence that Canadian, the Canadian system of like reservations and the especially the like identification system and the past system for leaving reservations was a very like obvious and purposeful model that Israel followed. So maybe we'll link that in the show notes as well. So that we're, we're just gonna end out on, on the little tidbits of nonsense that uh, they end with, which is Ezra asks about the countries who made peace agreements with Israel under Trump, and Pollock says that they all currently are condemning Israel for what's going on, which is interesting only in the sense, like, I haven't followed up to make sure that the UAE, what the UAE said or any of the other uh, countries, but it's like an amazing sort of like cut against Ezra's uh, narrative about these peace agreements. Which is like, yeah, they're peace agreements, but like a lot of them still support Palestine and don't think Israel should be bombing and killing Palestinian children. I mean, at the very least, their populations are overwhelmingly in favor of Palestine, so they can't come right out and say it, you know? Yeah. Like, they can't come out and be like, yeah, go Israel, because like, we love them because their populations would get mad enough at them that they might, like, protest or something. Right. I mean, I'm like, and this is just a side. I mean, Ezra would still look silly regardless of what the dynamic here is. Like, even if those governments, like, honestly did support Palestine, right? It's just, like, kind of silly to, like, hedge all your money on Trump being, like, this hero person when it's, like, you just completely don't understand why these agreements exist in the first place. You know, which is that a lot of these countries want to be able to trade goods again and don't want to be have sanctions on them for supporting Palestinians. Ezra then, to continue his Islamophobia, wonders if Ilhan Omar is actually the one running democratic foreign policy. And I will say I fucking wish Ilhan Omar was running democratic foreign policy. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's just sad because, like, he always says, like, man, that would be the dream. But, of course, it's like, in reality, we get fucking Biden, who's clearly not what Ezra is trying to sell Biden as, you know? Or, like, as if Ilhan's behind the scenes pulling the strings. Like, I wish. I wish. And then he, Pollock says that Democrats can't openly support Israel because Trump did. 
and like refers this is the old like Trump derangement syndrome like that you just have to do the opposite of Trump and I'm like but again how do you explain the Israeli support from the, the higher ups of the Democratic Party just doesn't make any fucking sense yeah like the majority of the Democratic Party is still overwhelmingly in support of Israel now there's definitely more voices today than there ever have been to at least uh, acknowledge support for the Palestinians within the Democratic Party. Yeah, thankfully. Minimal credit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But that is not the majority of the Democratic Party. Just like the difference between now and 2014, where like you have, you know, Congress people in the US and people on like these huge news networks being like saying the word apartheid in reference to Israel is like so big like such a huge difference and like you know the difference on the ground too with like every city in north america having some manner of protest it seems like just everywhere is like no like we're done with this we've we've made the connections between like what we are doing at home with like the violence we inflict on people of color here and the violence that we allow to be inflicted upon people of color in the rest of the world. Like, it seems like people are actually treating these as, like, interrelated phenomena in a way that, like, they didn't the last time. We will end, because, of course, Pollock has to kick it up a notch to end it on, which is, uh, he's, he's writing a book. Well, he's done writing the book. The book is coming out. And it's called The Zionist Conspiracy and How to Join It. No. Oh, let me mention, Joel, don't go away. I I hear, and I can't even believe this, you've got a new book coming out. (laughs) And it's just apropos of this, the title gave me a bit of a chuckle. The Zionist Conspiracy and how to join it. We'll have a link to the Amazon page below, but give us one minute on this book. That's a, that's a provocative title. What, what's the book about? Like, let's be real. In, in terms of anti-Semitism, it's just a fucking stupid title. Like, <laughs> like, I just, like, I don't know. Like, even referring to it as a conspiracy, do you even want to go down that route? And, like, the thing is, like, it would be one thing if Pollock were, like, a liberal Zionist, where it's kind of just like, oh, like... Yeah, I pretend to want human rights, but Israel has a right to exist or whatever the fuck. Because, like, that would be, you know, on some level, like, okay, like, this is still very annoying and really shitty. But, like, when you are a, like, far-right dude doing this, and, like, you know, I'm just going to say hypothetically, uh, because I, you know, don't know Pollock's relations to active far-right movements 100%, but, like, you know, given the sort of relations that rebel media has had to anti-Semitism and to um, neo-Nazis and to, like, you know, these things that propagate anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and then to kind of play into that while you are on their side is just like, what? What is the line of thinking? And and to fill some of that background in, I mean, I will just point out that Pollock is also South African. And uh, I'll let you just dwell with that information. <sighs> <laughs> because there, he's, he's said some yikesy things about South Africa in the past on the show that were uh, very uh, yikesy. Very yikesy. Fucking knock off Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> But part of what this book is about, according to Pollock, is the idea of how successful Israel is. And so Pollock says that people feel they can't side with Israel because of this whole like woke culture. Because since Israel has been so successful, they're now the, the privileged. Uh, Israel is the beneficiary of so-called privilege, right? Because they're successful. So therefore, they must be unjustly successful. And therefore, you have to side with the underdog, even though the underdog has been causing explosions and horrible crimes against civilians for decades i don't even know what to say to that other than no i'm i'm what i'm against is the ethnic cleansing of palestinians pollock yeah 
It has nothing. I don't care how privileged or successful Israel has been. I don't want them ethnically cleansing people. You could say, considering Pollock's politics, the proof that Israel is successful is in its ethnic cleansing. You know, the promotion of ethno-nationalism and so on is kind of right up their alley, so... Yeah. And, because, uh, of course, Pollock ends the, the show by saying... Zionism was successful because they adopted strategies that can be useful to other people in other situations, including the Palestinians, by the way. I have a whole chapter about how the Palestinians could learn from Israel's successes in their own quest for statehood and for improving the lives of their own people. Why even suggest that? Like, who is he trying to reach with that last point? Because no one, no one on uh, the Rebels show gives a fucking care in the world about Palestinians. Yeah. They clearly have indicated throughout this whole thing that they don't care. They never once mentioned the death toll, by the way, you know? I think so far there's been like 10, 15 casualties in Israel, and there's been over 200 Palestinians who've died. I think it's, yeah, I think it's at like 250 and maybe like 16 or something. So there's just an element here of like, who, who, are the, who is Pollock trying to appeal to on the Palestinian side by saying, hey, hey, you scrappy young Palestinians, why don't you learn from our success? I hate this. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so fuck Joel Pollock. I mean, here's the thing is, when I when we first started doing this show, my feelings towards Joel Pollock was, this guy works for Breitbart, so clearly you're like, already not a good look. But he never really said anything that was like, too, I, I wouldn't say objectionable. He's always said things that were objectionable. Just nothing that really like, made me go, whoa, this guy is yikesy, right? But then it was like, it would always be silly things. So you'll notice like in, we have one of our tiers, which is Joel Pollock's annoying cell phone. And interestingly enough, over, for the last few months that Joel Pollock has appeared, no cell phone beeps anymore. And I don't, I don't know if he got a new phone, I don't know what, but that kind of ruins the, <laughs> the tear joke. But he used to have the phone that would go off oh. every time he was talking to Ezra. Yeah. I mean, we have the bit because he said what, like, homeless people in L.A.'s have smartphone phones. And that was the first thing that he ever said on the show that made me laugh sufficiently that, like, I had it as the outro quote for the longest time before what it is currently, which is the Albumbia uh, song. So, like, there was an element in which I just thought he was, like, a silly idiot. But then as soon as they started talking about racial issues, and as soon as Pollock opened his mouth about... Uh, Israel, it was big, big yikes. Not a good person. <laughs> and uh, he he has become one of... Uh, next to, I think, Mark Morano. But Mark Morano is like an unhinged... Uh, not to use ableist language, but Mark Morano comes across as an unhinged lunatic, you know? Like, he just... Shit just comes out of his mouth, and it's like... Wh where? Why? What? <laughs> you know? Where Pollock is, like, just downright sinister in many ways. And uh, I don't know what to do with that information other than to just say, you know, fuck Joe Pollock. <laughs> I think that's the route to go. And don't buy a shitty fucking book. BDS. Um, you can go to bdsmovement.net to kind of learn about the movement as such and like what products and what actions you can take to be involved with it. Um, BDS's boycott divestment sanctions called for by uh, Palestinian civil society in around like 2005, calling for a boycott on the like purchase on like the consumer purchase of like Israel. Israeli goods and um, goods from companies that are like explicit in their support of Israel, things like SodaStream, uh, which is manufactured in Israel and is one of its like most famous exports in North America, I would say. Um, but also like HP laptops, which has a deal in the Israeli security checkpoints in the West Bank and occupied territories, and then divestment, which is you know not investing in those companies as well. 
and then uh, the call for the international community to place sanctions upon Israel um, until it complies with international law and Palestine is free. The boycott also includes like an academic and cultural boycott. Um, so it calls on like artists and academics to not engage with, you know, so to not, if a musician were to attend a concert in or to host a concert, uh, they shouldn't be doing it in Israel. Or if an academic is attending a conference, they do, shouldn't be involving Israeli academics and shouldn't be attending uh, conferences at Israeli universities. The second thing uh, is if you're Canadian, we have a little like email form for you to fill out calling on Canada to do more to stop the violence in Palestine and end the evictions of Palestinians from Sheikh Jarrah. Yeah, and if there's any protests going on in your neighborhood, better be out there and protesting for a while, because this is a international issue, and I guarantee wherever you are, your government is somehow involved with <laughs> what is going on in Palestine. Yes, and on top of that, we like we keep saying this one too, but call your MPs and tell them that uh, you are not happy with the fact that a government sells arms to Israel. Yeah, and... Also add Saudi, because like we sell, yes. we have a much larger contract with Saudi than we do anything with um, Israel. So, and you know, the Saudi government and Israeli government are unofficially allied. So again, these things are interrelated as always. So have solidarity with as many people as you can and might as well wrap those two together. And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. EST. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And all the desert tortoises that are standing in the way of our solar panels, you're canceled. Uh-huh. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.